Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness, great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gagel with the Greatness Podcast, and I am so excited to welcome Andre Noonan, Group CEO of Australia and New Zealand for Axiona to the Greatness Podcast. Welcome, Andre. Thank you, Gretchen. Very nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. So I saw you on a panel, and and it's kind of interesting because in the United States, we pronounce it NAWIC. And in Australia, I've learned we pronounce it Nawick, so I'm going to stick with the Australian pronunciation since that's where I'm sitting. Uh, I saw you on a panel, and I was so blown away by your study that I reached out and said, hey, uh, Christine, that's the head of Nawick, can you introduce me to this person? I really want to have them on my podcast. And I'm so grateful when people who have no idea who I am and why um, agree to come on the podcast and tell a story. And we'll get to that story in just a minute. But before we do, how I love hearing people's stories of how they ended up in our industry. What's what's your story? How did you end up in construction? Oh goodness. Um, oh well I've been um, I've been in construction now for thirty years, I guess. And um, it's interesting. I'm the youngest of six children. Um, our father an engineer, civil engineer, and of the six of us, there's three boys and three girls, and still is. Five of the six of us have, funnily enough, ended up in some form of construction. We've got an elder sister who's an architect and been in Germany for the last 35 years. Uh, Another sister who is a demolition contractor in Victoria, very successful in her own right, runs her own company, which is fantastic. Um, A brother in concreting and myself and my Next eldest sibling, so the two youngest, if you like, of the six, um, COO and CEO, respectively, of Athiona Australia. So maybe it was in that um, upbringing. I'm not sure, but uh, it's definitely been in the bloodlines and we've all seemed to gravitate towards that, I guess. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I had a little bit of a different um, experience and people who have listened to my podcast probably know this, that when I told my father I wanted to go to engineering school, he said girls didn't do that <laughs> and uh, it was very discouraging of me. And he was a construction equipment dealer. So I, I grew up facing a different part of the industry. He sold Komatsu and Barbara Green and Heister and everything, but he didn't think it was he didn't think it was going to be a good career for me. I wish he was alive today to see what a wonderful career it has been for me in such a great industry. I mean, we, we build and maintain the assets of society mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's really a pleasure. So the, the story you told on the panel, thank you for sharing your personal story was, was just so interesting to me because the timing was uh, really interesting. I'd just been in the United States at a construction industry Institute construction user roundtable conference. It was my first time back and, 18 months after finally hiring a law firm to get a permit in uh, June of 2021 to get out of the country. And I was looking around the audience and people were coming up to me. It was really fun to be back and 30 years in the industry, you know, a lot of people and, and it's fun because I'm still learning, meeting people here in Australia. And I looked around and I, and I would bet that probably less than 10% of the audience was female. And I, I mean, I do, I love this industry so much. It's so great to hear that you have successful sisters in the industry, 
but it seems like we've been talking about gender diversity for quite some time in the industry without making a lot of progress. And so when I hear great stories about gender diversity, um, I try and lift them up as examples of really thinking outside of the box. So tell us about how this project started, what the project was, the school, and um, kind of how it came to be and the philosophy that you all went into it with. Okay, great. So, yeah, it was, um, I guess, Project Loretto is the name of the project we, we adapted. Uh, it's at Loretto Girls School in um, in Melbourne. Um, the project is just complete, actually, as in the building. It's a about a $40 million expansion of classrooms and things. It's quite a unique project, project in one regard in terms of they have constructed the first underground below-ground um, classrooms in Australia, which are the architect on the building has done a remarkable job, I feel, because getting natural light below-ground has worked really well. So I digress a little bit. But uh, we are civil engineers and we were contracted to do the four-level underground car park, which is a very typical many buildings you drive under these days have a below-ground car park. And so we design and construct the uh, retaining walls against the earth. And um, it just so happened that both my daughters uh, went to this school, but that was a little bit coincidental. Um, But I just felt a girls' school, we're talking about this gender diversity, we've got this project, um, we're able to make these decisions, and we said, why not? Let's just, the genesis of going through a lot of this discussion of trying to increase that disproportionate imbalance within the industry, which is prevalent, takes time. And fortunately, I guess, or unfortunately, depends on how you look at it, but fortunately, um, I was able to make that difference and I made the call and I just sort of said, why can't we? And then we had a couple of internal discussions and I guess initially, Gretchen, there was a lot of um, resonant uh, to against it internally. Oh, we can't do this. Good idea. We really support you, all of that. And I remember coming out and I, was, and I sort of just got up from the meeting and said, no, nah, that's it. We're going for 50-50. And it must be the only, the only floor is 50%. I don't care how high you go in terms of female participation. Oh, and by the way, You've still got to fulfil all your other obligations as uh, general managers or construction managers and do it on time and on budget, sort of. And that was it. And it was as, as unsophisticated as that, if you like, um, in in a very measured way, I guess. But it needed someone just to make the call and we did it. And I, I presume then I left the room and there was a lot of oh, whiteboard sessions, how are we going to do it? But to everyone's credit, we did it. And um, it was incredible and we were able to achieve the budget and the program and we were able to bring new participants to the, to the um, industry, existing participants. We had to really think internally. We, we'll bring um, some females across from here. And, and everyone bought in, including the males. It was very important to make sure we brought the entire uh, organisational chart, if you like, and the group along the journey. And I must say along it, I was quite nervous as to giving that sort of unilateral direction, if you like, but I did feel it just, you know, that adage I'm often saying it, sometimes you've got to break some eggs to make an omelette. And I think to make this omelette, it needed that sort of 
just said, no, we're doing it, and away we went, and we did it. And it's not no credit to me. It's a credit to all of the team and all and the client and everyone um, all the way through. And so we were able to do it, and I think we ended up with about 53% overall female participation. And, um, of course, it can be done. We all know it can be done. Um, but to be actually able to do it and come out the other side was, was a great outcome. And, look, we haven't done it since, and it, it, there is an element of what's the right project and all of those sorts of things. But we're referring to it a, a lot, and there's through mediums such as this, and it is getting some ma- mainstream people. Are, it, it, it really is people. It's resonating with the community. Um, and I feel it resonated with the school, particularly the girls. I felt... Um, we wanted to set up particularly the STEM classes through the sciences and, and um, maths and things to come onto site and do weekly meetings. Unfortunately, it coincided with the start of lockdown in Melbourne and uh, we weren't able to do that. But um, the fortunate mm-hmm. side of the lockdown was the construction industry was able to continue and I'm sure that made it easier in terms of uh, logistically less challenging, less traffic, all of those things. So the project did naturally go did benefit from that, so maybe that was a blessing in disguise, if you like, to to um, help with the success. But that was the genesis of it, Gretchen, and uh, I'm pleased to say we came out the other side with with, with all of our skin intact. Yeah, well, you, you bring up that you were nervous about this, and I think it it takes a lot of courage to draw this kind of line in the sand, and I think. In my leadership courses in the MBA programs at ANU and University of Denver, you know, we're, we're going towards a more collaborative, less command and control leadership. But that doesn't mean as a leader that you don't draw lines in the sand. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not all about um, if you would have sat down with that group and, and maybe tried to reach consensus about it, that would have been more challenging. But but good for you to just be present to it and and throw that challenge down to your team. No, that's a very good point. And um, I think we are definitely wanting to be more collaborative, and we are. And in business, it's incumbent on us to, to, to discuss and definitely engage better at all, th- all through the different levels. And we're all doing that. But you, you are quite right. That does not abdicate yourself or the responsibility as a manager to ultimately make those decisions, I guess. Fortunately, on this occasion, it turned out to be the brave decision, it turned out to be the right decision. And I, I really do feel that moving forward, this will continue because it's not only a nice to have, it, it's so far away from just being that whilst it is a wonderful altruistic thing to do, it's a must to have because the great thing, our, our industry is a great one, as you talked about earlier, and I, I do love the industry and it's in my, my blood. And it really irks me that, of the people within the industry are from 50% of the populace. It's just nonsensical. Mm. Uh, So the other 50% are missing out on what is so great. You know, it's just all of those things. But it has has some, it's got some welded on cultural issues and and you alluded your father and all of those sorts of things and they're generational issues. And and with all best intention, everyone had those those points of view that it's just a blokey and it's not for women. That has dissipated and we've proven anyone's as capable as anyone. But it makes no sense for such a massive industry, which can't be offshored. It has to be built here or aspects like that. We need the people in a, in a relatively massive, large land masses Australia with a very relative small population that has 
first world infrastructure requirements and buildings, it takes people and skills to build this. Now, if we're only recruiting or inviting people from 50% of the populace, that's just not sustainable. It's just crazy. So bringing that through and educating um, society and all of us, but girls at school and and equally boys at school that this can occur um, and must occur, is, is it's vitally important, I believe. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting, even being a woman, sometimes I'm not mindfully present to it. So I, I've done a study for the construction user roundtable. Actually, it was done with the Construction Management Association prior to that. Since the, I want to say 1998, on and off, I've done this study. And it uh, primarily talks to owners. I'm doing it this year and I'm expanding it to talk to engineering and construction firms and some other ancillary investment bankers and things like that. And I, and I set out to do this, the study this year and I thought, well, why shouldn't 50% of the respondents be female? <laughs> and, and I was like, I've never thought about that. Like this lightning bolt came out of the sky and sure enough, I'm, uh, I've talked to Oh, 42 people I'll end up talking to, to probably 50 executives globally in the industry, and half of them will be women. But as a woman, I, I have never been mindfully present to that. And it's just such a small thing to, to think creatively about those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's right. And, and so what, speaking of creativity, you say that, you know, everybody got on board. Were there examples of... Um, how people thought creatively to achieve the, I mean, you don't just wave a magic wand and 53% of your um, population on a construction project is female. And and I love that you say this, when people say it can't be done, of course it can be done because that's what I hear a lot as well. They're just not out there. There's not a pipeline of talent. Um, We can't attract women into the industry. Just a, a lot of that. But are there examples you can share with us of some creative ways that you accomplish this? Uh, yeah. Well, one of the um, key aspects uh, is uh, was plant operation and some very heavy plant in piling rigs. In fact, very technical drilling, drilling soils, deep, deep holes uh, through complex geology. And it, it, it actually is a very complex geological part of Melbourne where this was built in the suburb. And it had um, very high water table with water ingress and things like that. So it was challenging technically from a geotechnical aspect. Uh, so one of the aspects was, well, we don't have any female drilling rig operators. And I said, well, we've got four weeks. I learned 30 years ago to operate a drill rig uh, in a week and was sent out to site and and then learned on the tools for probably two or three years after that. So you've got to begin somewhere. So there's your challenge. You've got four weeks. And and off off we went. And um, and I, I can recall uh, maybe the first operator didn't quite work out because of circumstances and things like that. But the, the, the trainer, which was an in, in-house experienced operator, male operator, who I've been working alongside for decades, um, we, we found we worked through it and we trained and, and, and we all prove to each other that, uh, which is uh, which is a microcosm, the drilling and piling industry within the building industry is in itself a microcosm, Gretchen. You haven't, I, I can't stress how blokey and strong that is. To, so to bring in a female piling operator, I'd almost guarantee it's the first in Australia. Um, wow. So, and, and we got there and um, guess what? It's it's a bit like you, you read about Rio Tinto and BHP with 
um, the big heavy haul 300-ton dump trucks up in the Pilbara, um, they're finding their maintenance and safety with the female drivers that they've been teaching up over the last five or six years is 30 or 40% less than with the males. So the, these now, – now that in itself can be – I guess construed sexist, but we were able to prove that, and 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 uh, the female is is drilling around the country now and happy in 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 and learning a skill and indeed imparting that onto others. So we're away. So there's some innovative things like that, but just to break that paradigm of the the microcosm of the piling industry or drilling industry within the building industry, it is quite bizarre to think about. Like if someone had said to me 20 years ago or 15, 10 years ago, I was under no, no way. I would have laughed it off as being nonsensical. But um, no, we, we've there's many stories like that, Gretchen, I can assure you. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting. I was just in the U.S., speaking with a friend of mine at the National Academy of Construction, and he told me this story. I don't even remember how we got on this topic about those big trucks. They were up in Canada and they couldn't find truck drivers. Mm. And the big, big, like tires bigger than you trucks. Yeah, big mine trucks. And they were in a bar just ruminating about this. And, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? We don't have enough drivers. And the waitress said, well, I bet I can. I have a commercial license. I bet I can learn how to drive one of these. And she ended up bringing five or six waitresses, other waitresses, and training them. And they mm. ended up bringing these women from job to job in Canada as they were moving through these projects. And I thought, you know, sometimes you just have to open your eyes to um, to the possibilities and give give people a chance. That, that's such a great story. I, I think you bring up a really another really important point about the men because I, I you know, uh, I run a women's leadership program for the pipeline industry here in Australia, and I've never run a women's leadership program. I kind of fell into it. It's it's kind of a long story, but. One of the young women at the end of the first two-day session of the first cohort said something about, um, well, I didn't want this to be about male bashing. And I said, you know what? You don't stay in the pipeline industry if you don't love men. You don't stay in the construction industry if you don't love working with yeah. men. It's not about men or women. It's an and thing and, and bringing everybody. And I do think um, I have a friend in the U.S. who has spent 10 years educating men on how to support women. And I think even with the Me Too movement and everything, it's even gotten a little bit more challenging. What advice do you have out there for men that are wondering, you know, how how do I, other than drawing the line and saying, hey, we're going to have 50% women on our projects, how do we support women in our industry? It's a good question. My, my advice would be to embrace it and and not be Sometimes, unfortunately, human nature being what it is, you can your first uh, reaction can be a protectionist one of yourself, and you're looking inward. Uh, and and I respect that, and I understand that, and we're all humans ultimately. Um, but that embracement of of change and um, embracement of you know the evolution of of society and all of those sorts of things. There's so many countless examples over the decades right now we're talking about turning from fossil fuels into renewables and all of those sorts of things that don't don't fight what we're talking about here embrace it um be a champion not always be a champion of it but accept it and don't feel as though oh well it's 50 percent of of the opportunities because that's just a pure evolutionary thing would be my first advice i think 
I think the diversity piece is a wonderful piece. I actually, it's one of my really key pillars in business philosophies and it cuts across uh, diversity of so many different aspects in terms of making sure you haven't got all your eggs in one basket. So as a constructor, I'm not just tied to uh, the rail industry or the high-rise industry or the infrastructure industry. I can do – I'm – I've got some revenue streams and diverse revenue streams from all of those things so that when the mining industry is quiet, I can keep going over here. So that diversity piece is a very important piece. It's the same with uh, cultural diversity. It's the same with geographic diversity, skill set diversity, and indeed we're talking about here male, male and female diversity. I think it's having the diversity of opinion, having the age group demographic diversity, it's it's – I. I really, I was just in a meeting last week with some of our people um, on on a topic and I noticed every, I said everyone here is over 40 or between 40 and 55. This is crazy. Where, why are we all, we're all pontificating. Why can't we get some, now you can't just um, unilaterally say we're going to make a 22-year-old a manager and change all charts, but we've got to hear those opinions and we've got to hear all of those diverse thoughts and views and um, it, it makes us all better people to hear all the different diverse thoughts and views, and it frames your decision and your, and your views in a better way and hopefully makes us better people and better at business ultimately. And that's, that's I guess, uh, my number one driver, Gretchen. Whilst, whilst I think it is, I feel blessed to be able to affect some of these change in a very small, nothing, in a very small manner, but... I I, uh, I actually feel fundamentally it makes good business sense. It, it makes bad business sense to just keep, you know, what it, what it was the saying was that Einstein, the definition of insanity is keeping to repeat the mistake. So you can't just keep employing when there's a skill shortage and there's this infrastructure boom from 50%. It just doesn't make sense. It's just not sustainable. So, so it's a wonderful thing, all of the add-ons, to have the diversity of opinion and thought and provoke your thoughts and all of those sorts of things only enhances the story. Uh, so to everyone I would say who would be dealing with this is, is get on board, embrace it. It's wonderful. Most other industries are miles ahead of the mining and construction industry seem to be, there might be a handful of others, I'm not sure. But um, the world's ahead. We're all in, integrating and, and moving on with things you know, why are we having these discussions in the construction industry anymore? I don't think we're going to be having... I genuinely don't feel we'll be having these discussions in five years. I I think that it's just going to become more de rigueur and par for the course, particularly as the next generation comes up and fills those spots. So I hope so anyway, yeah. Andre, we'll be, we'll be out drinking champagne five years from now if we can say that this isn't an issue from my... My history and, um, you know, the, the study that I'm doing, these executives that I'm speaking to around the world, the labor shortage is, is uh, as uh, concerning as I've ever heard it with all these infrastructure packages coming out. The Associated General Contractors in the United States um, has said we have an 880,000 person shortage in being able to, to deliver the infrastructure package. And there's lots of research out there that says that diverse companies have better returns. It is, it's a, yeah. you know, it is a research evidence-based um, thing out there. So 
I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come because as I said, I, when I hear people say, well, it can't be done or um, I, I just really appreciate people who have the courage to push the envelope and to say that we're going to try something different, especially when every, I'm, I can only imagine what the look on people's faces was when you initially said that, that would be priceless to have a picture of what. <laughs> I must admit that I can recall a couple of quizzical looks and I remember walking out of that initial meeting thinking, what have I just done there? But anyway, we, we did yeah, it. So, you did it. Yeah. And that's what people have to, people have the courage, have to have the courage to stand up and, um, and challenge the status quo. And that's what you did. I'm so grateful that I had the, opportunity to hear you on the Nawak panel and reach out and get introduced to you and invite you to come to the podcast and that you would um, do that having absolutely no idea who I am and having never met me before. I'm really grateful to you. Thank you so much for your time today. No problem at all. Lovely talking. Cheerio. Have a good day. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.